Not quite ready to talk about the birds and the bees with your kids? Or whoever you're with? Well, we are. And we did. You've been warned. Camera. Object. Move it frame by frame. The tools are not complicated, and the process is not complicated. You could do it with an iPhone, whatever. Like, whatever camera you have, I'm taking what's at my disposal, an object. Okay, take some sand, go to the beach, whatever. But it's just the fact that I spent a year doing that, driving to the beach, spending eight hours a day, like moving pieces of sand or whatever I'm moving, you know, bit by bit. Like, that's the crazy part. That's the part that, like, people won't usually do. Compare these hands to fairy tales. I'm dreaming of blue killer whales. Welcome to She Does Podcast. I'm Sarah Ginsberg, And I'm Elaine Sheldon. And today, we'll be peeking into the mind of director and animator Kirsten Lepore. And the music you'll hear in this episode is by Hannah, Delia, and Amanda Rainey, a family folk band from good old Missouri. They go by Dub Nub. And tune in next week to learn a bit more about them. Kirsten is an animator who mostly works in stop motion, and she works with all kinds of different materials, from sand and plastic and paper to clay... She even used cupcakes and vegetables in one of her pieces, Sweet Dreams. And even though the main characters are edible and there's no dialogue, I found them to be very relatable. Her client and personal work gets millions of views on the internet. And she's animated for Yo Gabba Gabba, MTV, Motorola. And this year, she was commissioned to do several Google Doodles. They're those artistic versions of the Google logo that make you stop and smile. Kirsten invited us over to her home in Los Angeles and gave us a tour of her workshop, which is basically a big garage in the backyard. Did your oven go off? Uh, it did, but I, I can just leave the thing in there. Baking some Sculpey. Where is your place to... She was just finishing up her work on an episode of Adventure Time. She wrote and directed an episode that'll be coming out this fall. This is, this is like a weird reverse tour. Um, this is... But we held this interview in her office, and there was a little studio audience present. Your shelf reminds me of my troll shelf that I have. <laughs> my brother would torture me because he would come in and turn them around backwards so I could just see their butts. <laughs> their butts are so round like, and why defined. Why was this a thing? It's exactly. so weird. They're so weird I looking. I loved trolls. I oh, totally. Totally. I'll turn around later. We can look at their butts. <laughs> it all begins in the kitchen. At least for Kirsten it did. The kitchen of her home in New Jersey where she spent a lot of time observing her mom cook after a long day at work. Mrs. Lepore is a music teacher. So she was out all day working. She'd come home and teach, but at the same time, she still always had a beautiful home-cooked meal for us every night. She's amazing. The act of making a meal, the ingredients, the colors, the textures, these are things most of us, as kids, didn't give a second thought. But for Kirsten, these are the things that stuck. And to this day, she loves cooking, just as much as she loves animating. And really, that makes a lot of sense. My kitchen is my laboratory. My workshop is my laboratory. It's just fun to kind of like combine all these ingredients and kind of have the knowledge of like from, from doing it so long of, you know, having a pretty good idea of what's going to work out. And I've thought about this a lot where I feel like it's, it's like three chances a day that you get at having really tangible success, you know? Like, you know if something tastes good. Like, you know if you succeeded. Whereas when you're filmmaking, sometimes it's a little more difficult to figure out um, if what you made is any good. But, you know, if you make, like, you know, just a little meal, it's just like a little thing here and there, you're like, that was a great meal. I can, I can confidently say I did good. 
Kirsten didn't have it, she would make it. She told us about her homemade laptop computer and her Little Mermaid costume. And I even cut out like like a red hair piece and I just taped all of it onto my body. She remembers discovering behind-the-scenes documentaries that revealed how her favorite shows were made. Oh my God, like this is how they do it. This is so cool. This is so fun. And so her interest in how things were made was solidified. Even from early childhood, I was always trying to sort of make my own reality. You know, like I was never just relying on some toy that I had. It was all about imagination and cardboard box. Like a huge cardboard box was like the best thing that you could give me. So yeah, stuff like that, I think, helped kind of develop this sense of of like making the most of what you have. What else did Kirsten have to play with? Sisters, two of them. Since I was the oldest, I sort of assumed the director role naturally in the family. So once my dad kind of let me have use of the of the family video camera, then I would just make movies with my sisters and they were my actors and I would just boss them around. <laughs> I think my first animation was actually back in those days when I was doing making movies with my sisters. I remember I was supposed to go to the movies with my mom and for some reason like we couldn't go to them we had to go to a later movie or we weren't going to go for a couple hours so I was kind of bummed out I was like oh I have this time now and we'd already bought candy for the movie they were jelly beans jelly belly jelly beans mm, those are the fancy ones I know so she looked down at her loot and decided I'm gonna make a movie I took the video camera and I set it up on the tripod and it was one of those cameras where it's like the red start stop button. So I just like laid out my jelly beans by color and then I would just like start stop and I would like move them a little bit, start stop, and I move them a little bit, start stop. <laughs> uh, like making different scenes and like making shapes and stuff. Uh, and that was the first stop motion I ever did. And I was really into it except that I was so frustrated that there was this clicking noise throughout the whole thing which was from the start stop, start stop. Kirsten made a few more stop-motion animations, but then she stopped. She dabbled in Flash and 2D animation in high school, but she didn't start experimenting with stop-motion again until she got to college. Because I didn't really have a way to to do that thing without that start-stop clicking problem. So then when I learned about sequences of stills and when digital cameras really became like a big thing, I think I had to wait for the technology to kind of get there before I really got into it. Kirsten attended MICA, Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore, for her bachelor's. She started out in illustration, but it only took one animation class to remind her how much she loved it. The jelly beans. Yep. So she quickly changed her major to experimental animation. This was also her major at CalArts, where she got her MFA and made a handful of stop-motion animations. But even without the nuisance of the video camera clicks, it's a tedious process. Kirsten says it's an unnatural art form. Painting makes sense. You know, it's it's like you can accomplish something in a reasonable reasonable time frame. Filmmaking makes sense. You can shoot something in a reasonable time frame and edit it. Like everything takes time. But something like stop motion, or I mean animation in general, but stop motion specifically, is like everything that you do is so counterintuitive to the way the natural world works. You're just kind of trying to recreate the natural world, but like in the slowest and most painstaking way possible. You get like six seconds of footage per day on a good day and at the same time you're fighting gravity and you need a completely controlled work environment like you can't bump a light if you change a light then like there's a there's a pop in there you know halfway through it's like you cannot touch anything you're like combined in the space you're sweating you're standing up you're like 
trying to move this puppet, which is always breaking, and it's just like driving you insane, and you're like, okay, just move it like the tiniest little increment. So like you, sometimes you just touch it, and that's all you have to do. I always compare it to surgery, because you have to like, you can't leave, you have to be there for like eight hours or 12 hours or whatever it is. Because even if you take an hour break, then like naturally with the settling of, of like the way the earth moves, like your set will shift and you'll see that in the footage. So stuff like that, just to give a sense of this thing coming to life. I think the thing that feeds me about this process, I mean, you can, you can make your world, you can make anything you want. I, I try to tell people that all the time who do animation. I'm like, like, don't complain. I know you can get, you know, I know it's really hard. You can get down on yourself, but you can make anything you want. Like, make up an entire new universe. And I think it's that concept that keeps it really exciting for me. And, you know, sometimes you lose sight of that, but you just have to remind yourself, like, I can do anything. I can do anything. <laughs> and that thought is, is can be a little scary, but it's also super liberating. Why is it scary? Scary because, because since you can do anything, you're like, where do I start? That's always like the most difficult question is where do you start? But you know, if you can get a couple ideas together or there's like this weird material you want to work with, or you just have some inkling of a little idea and you can just start from there, then make it into anything you want it to be. I'm very interested in your personal projects and where the seeds of the ideas come from. And is storytelling important? Or is it more about aesthetic? Like, what is the driving force and, like, what clicks when you're like, oh, that would make a good... Like, what are the elements that make a good yeah. animation to you? It's a tricky thing to sort of pinpoint where it comes from. I think for a lot of my films, it's actually come from, like, a material to start with. Like, I'll, I'll see something that I get really excited about working with, like a material I get really excited about working with. I remember like watching a snowfall in New Jersey and I was like, ooh, I wonder if you could use snow like clay, you know, like apply those principles to like clay type animation. And I was like, I'm gonna do that one day. And she did do it. It's called Bottle. And it's about two creatures, one made of sand and one made of snow, communicating through objects in a bottle across the sea. It's a humorous film, but it's also kind of sad. And it's romantic. And there's no dialogue, but you still feel something for these little creatures. And the biggest part of these creatures is what they're made out of. She's literally working with sand and snow for this film. I, I always make sure that this story is kind of dependent on the medium. Like, I don't want to just like make a thing with snow and have, have it have no bearing on the story. Like, it was... I think that story could have only been told with those materials, and that was important to me. Kirsten made this five-and-a-half-minute short during her first year at CalArts. It took nine months to make, and half of that was just planning, drawing, writing, and brainstorming the idea. And then she went into storyboarding, thinking about layout and how one thing will lead into another. It's not her favorite part of the process, but it's crucial. It kind of sucks. <laughs> it's kind of annoying because you do have to work everything out in your head. Uh, even when you're not totally ready to do that yet, but a lot of times it will help you find a path that you might not have found otherwise and to really kind of make sense of your story and have the whole thing feel complete. Once she finally got to animating, this film required extra planning. 
because she was shooting outside. She had to work with and against the sun, never starting too late in the day and working until the sun would drop. If Kirsten didn't finish the shot, she'd have to stop and redo it another day. I've got a bowl of buttons, needles too. But that's just pre-production and production. There's still post-production, where she had to color correct each individual frame to compensate for any light flicker. She's right. It's absolutely crazy. If you're starting to catch the stop motion bug, you crazy person, we've got a link in today's show notes that will take you to Kirsten's own behind the scenes video for Bottle. Bottle was a 2010 Short of the Week finalist, and it won prizes at Slamdance, the Vimeo Awards, and has screened at a huge long list of festivals all over the world. But before Bottle, there was Sweet Dreams, Kirsten's thesis film at MICA. It's a story about a cupcake looking to escape a dull life. He builds a sailboat made of sugar cubes and sails away, finding himself on a faraway land, a land of vegetables. I've watched Sweet Dreams several times and I'm still mesmerized by these tiny little sets that Kirsten has built. There's tiny beds, tiny sailboats, houses made out of carrots and sugar cubes. Oh, and you can't forget the sex scene. Oh, so steamy. It's between a cupcake and a butternut squash. And that's not the dirty part of this episode, in case you were wondering. (laughs) Sweet Dreams did quite well. It was recognized with a special jury award in 2009 at South by Southwest. But Sweet Dreams almost didn't exist. Every film that I've ever made, like all those films I did in school and everything, there was a moment halfway through every single one of them where I almost quit. Like every single one, I was like, nope, it's not going to happen. It's just like logistically, this is, this is too much. This is too ambitious. Kirsten was just about to give up on Sweet Dreams. But then, out of nowhere, she got a phone call from her friend. And she was like, I'm just telling you, you have to make your film. I had this dream that you had to make your film. It's really important. You have to go back. And I was like, whoa, okay, really? She's like, yeah, I had this premonitory dream. She's like, I'm telling you, you have to make this film. And I was like, okay, that's like enough for me. Like, I'm going to trust my friend's premonitory dream that I need to make this film and I'm going to make it. And so then I went back into production and I finished it. And it was really hard to finish it, but I pushed myself and I did it. So that was like one example of like a weird thing that happened. I wouldn't have done it. Sweet dreams would not exist. But because Sweet Dreams exists, I have a career. Like, that really jump-started my career. I went through that with every single film, and it was always some random thing, some friend or, like, my mom or so, like, the support of one person that always just pushed me that extra little bit that I needed to finish. Because it's hard. It's hard to not get discouraged when it's like this, you know, one woman show or one man show or whatever. Getting a little bit outside of that every now and then when you're working and like the encouraging words and support of the friends, like, you know, they're not going to do it for you. You always have to do it. Everything like animation wise, whatever, everything I know how to do, I pretty much know how to do it because I taught myself. Like even though I have a an undergrad and a grad degree, I didn't learn how to animate there. I didn't like, I didn't even learn most of my techniques there. Most of that was all just conceptual stuff. But like everything I learned how to do, I had to take the initiative and I had to teach myself. And you know, and there's people, there's people, there's people that will like help you along, you know, but in the end, it's up to you to like control your own destiny. I don't know. And I think, I think that's the key to success. Someone can't find that for you. You have to find that yourself. Be- 
Both Bottle and Sweet Dreams were personal projects that led to professional paid gigs. Just take a look at Kirsten's website and you can see how the Sweet Dreams aesthetic and food-focused storytelling caught the eye of big companies like Nestle, Whole Foods, and Heinz. And about that website, it really has become an artist's calling card, a way to market yourself, whether we see it that way or not. I don't really actively market myself, and I think I'm really lucky that I haven't had to do that. But, um, well, no, I take that back because I do I do maintain like a really specific and curated web presence and website and Vimeo and Tumblr. So, yeah, I guess I kind of do. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't like, you know, I don't reach out to people, but I, it is really important to me that um, that I've had a have a website that I feel really kind of encompasses my vibe and my style and my type of work. And then same thing with Vimeo. I think Vimeo is really important for getting your stuff out there compression-wise, like how your videos look, and then also the way the site looks. And there's a great community there, which is a huge part of it. Yeah, but I, I think in this day and age, it's important to have that kind of presence. You can't sort of hide your work away and not have it available. The web is obviously like the free distribution platform and one of the most democratic systems we have for good work getting seen. Since graduating, Kirsten's been struggling to balance her personal work with client work. And she's been working on a project for a while, but as soon as a client inquiry comes in, she has to take it. She has to make a living. Stop motion is popular. Lots of brands want it, but don't want to take risks. And that means paid work out there lacks variety. And that's discouraging for Kirsten to witness. There's a lot of stuff that's just being remade over and over and over again. And it always just like I feel it like I feel it in my heart and it hurts because I know so many artists like worked on this thing that is just a rehashing of something I've seen a million times and it's like oh you just spent so much time of you just wasted all that time making this thing that kind of sucks <laughs> and I know that it's not their fault because they're just the people that were hired to make it and it's like some client that is like oh this was successful once we'll just remake the same thing over and over again and inspect the same result I mean this happens in every industry I don't know, but uh, you know, not not uh, you know, not everything can be a crazy original thing. This is how the world works, and that's what I need to always tell myself. Like, this is why I need to make my own films constantly because I need to make something that is like completely just breaking out of the realm of what is conventional in this medium. And I think it's the things like that, ironically, that get that would get me and other people like me client work. It's not the thing that looks like everything else that someone hired you to do that's going to get you work. It's the really unique thing that you made for yourself that really showcases something new that's going to get you hired. And it's mainly because it needs to be done and people need to see, oh, that works. That new thing actually works. How do you how do you continue to evolve, though? Because like, I think it is important. Like, once yeah. you decide what you like, you know, the way we hold a camera now and the way we use light mm -hmm. now, as opposed to three years ago, is evolving and changing. And, and with that, your body of work evolves. Mm -hmm. How, what is that for you? Like, what has changed in your work? And, like, where would you like to see it go? What are things you'd like to try? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 totally evolving. Everything changes based on my current design sense or what I'm currently into. And I think that naturally just happens because because I'm constantly seeking inspiration and and watching more films and going to more art shows and seeing different types of stuff. And I kind of, you know, the more I expose myself to different elements in the world, even the, the more my work evolves and changes and stop. I mean, stop motion. I like it because I can I think there's certain ideas that work best in stop motion that haven't really been explored yet. I think there's like a lot of uh, many stones unturned in that medium. 
But at the same time, I'm not tied to stop motion for the rest of my life. I mean, it happens to be something that I think is exciting for me right now. And I'm also really fortunate that it's kind of having a renaissance in the design world as a whole right now. It's really popular and trendy and everyone wants a little stop motion thing for their brand or whatever. Um, so that's good for me and getting work. But, you know, I, I could just as easily see my aesthetic completely changing and my medium changing. Back at Kirsten's workshop, we got a peek at her latest kit. Yeah, so they're just like little replaceable face plates for the puppet. So there's like neutral, happy neutral. And it may be the biggest and most exciting job she's had yet. Ooh, ooh. (laughs) There's like two O's and then one O. She's the mastermind, the director behind an episode of the popular Cartoon Network show, Adventure Time. It's an animated series that follows the adventures of Finn, a human boy, and his best friend and adoptive brother, Jake, a dog with magical powers. Adventure time, come on, grab your friends, we'll go to very distant lands. We'll take the dog and then we can win the book, we'll never end its adventure time. The show, which started out as a viral hit on the internet, was created by Pendleton Ward. Cartoon Network took notice of it and picked it up for a full-length series. Can you imagine not only getting to work on a show that you are already obsessed with, but going from doing everything yourself, working alone, to having an entire army of people working for you? Yeah, a lot of like tiny little pieces to keep track of that were always getting lost. I was always on the walkie being like, can we track down some LSP angry eyelids? (laughs) Uh, I need some angry eyebrows. It felt like the first really real experience being the director, the person that calls the shots. I'd never had like a producer or animators under me or like a fabrication team, set designers. Like I had all of that. Because before I've been the director, but it's like, I'm just directing myself. So I kind of felt like it didn't count. Like I couldn't really call myself a director. But it's, yeah, it's something entirely different when you write this entire episode and you have these boards laid out that you've just drawn in your room alone for five weeks. Because that was the first part of the process was just me alone, like in my bedroom, like I usually am, boarding the entire thing out. And then, yeah, walking into a room at Cartoon Network and pitching that for the first time and people laughing and it being real was like... I don't know, blew my mind. It was a totally new experience. Adventure Time episodes are about 12 minutes long. And if this were something Kirsten were doing on her own, it would take her two to three years. But with the studio Bix Picks behind her, it took her five weeks to build and five weeks to animate. I don't know, it's interesting, that kind of teamwork situation, working in a group and learning how to compromise. But I don't even feel like it's always compromise because a lot of these people will do things way better than I could have done them myself because they're amazing professionals in their own fields but yeah there is also this sense of having to let go of the like mine 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 it's the way i'm gonna do it you know like it's a collaboration like filmmaking should be a collaboration it usually is but when you're an animator it's usually not (laughs) i still i still think i would have had a different um perspective on this if If this were my own personal film that I was making with a big studio, I think I would be way more precious with the decisions. Because the characters on Adventure Time are already pre-established, there's a look, there's a feel, everything's there. I think I was much more okay with kind of letting go. 
When we spoke with Kirsten in April, she had been working on the episode for a year, and she had just turned in a rough cut. It's called Bad Jubies, and it's set to come out in the fall of 2015. So then Melissa's like, what do you think of him? And I'm all, well, he's no ray of sunshine or whatever. You know these people you just get, like, neggy vibes from? Yeah, like Bad Jubies or something. Totally. They just put everyone in a whack mood with their Bad Jubies. Are you afraid at all of what other, how other people take your work or what they'll say about it? Or is this for you? I don't, yeah, I don't usually think too much about like what the mass audience will think. But at the same time, I wonder if, I don't know, if it's sort of like a chicken or egg type thing where it's like, do I, am I really making the work I want to make? Or am I making work that I know audiences will probably like, but I also enjoy making? And like, is that kind of this weird cycle? There's definitely some things that I would want to make that are probably, that are really quote unquote off brand for me. The the type of super creepy sexual stuff that I love that would probably terrify most of my audience <laughs> or be like really, really strange for them. But I don't think it would deter me from making them. I think I've still explored a lot of those things, but I have to find the right venue for it. One venue is the workshop of her garage. Yeah, there's my Kristen Stewart-shaped dildo that I made <laughs> for an art show. <laughs> I got lots of weird, weird stuff in here. I think my animated work and my personal films have been probably more family-friendly and um, accessible for most people. I think the idea of accessibility is really important to me, and I don't want my work to be some really esoteric, crazy thing that no one can relate to um, or grasp, or it's for a certain you know, pretentious art crowd. Like, I would never want that. I would want my films to be enjoyed by as many people as possible. Do you feel the weird, strange stuff, Mm -hmm. sexual stuff, wanting to come out? It it comes out in little bits. Um, Like, there's definitely, like, a moment in Sweet Dreams, and there's, like, a couple moments in Bottle that are, you know, kind of like me sort of poking a little bit at that, that more playful sexual side. Um, like, you know, the cupcake sex scene. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> oh, we remember. Mm-hmm. They played that at this, like, big outdoor venue, I guess, where children were going to be there. And they made me take the sex scene out. And I was so... I almost didn't do it in the last minute. I finally just did it. But it's, like, a pivotal scene in the film. But anyway, I hate when people do stuff like that. But yeah, like, little... <laughs> little. I, you know, I try to inject little bits of um, kind of the true me in there. I mean, it's all the true me, but... Um, I'm probably more, uh, people that just see my work, you know, probably wouldn't know all the, all the weird depths of my personality, which aren't even weird depths. Like I'm very open about it. Um, speaking of like pornographic things, I've had it on my list for years and I, I have the idea for it and I really want to make a stop motion porno and it's going to be equal parts, um, erotic and comedic tons of gags and scenes in my head of what I would do but that's one of those things too where it's like would I release that under a pseudonym would I release that as me if clients find out about that like does that hurt my uh family-friendly appeal or something for potential work I mean these are questions I don't want to have to think about like it's annoying that I would have to think about that but yeah I mean that's like that's something I have on the back burner that I'd like to do every time I talk about it I'm afraid someone's gonna like jump on that idea and do it before me but I don't know who would really do that. 
Thank you to Kirsten Lepore for inviting us into her home, her studio, and her brain. There is something really satisfying about how round their butt is and how like round their belly is. Like, because you just want to rub it. Like, you just want to rub the belly. <laughs> she has produced so many weird and wonderful animations that we didn't even mention, like Move Mountain, Story from North America, and you really shouldn't miss Booty Clap. Visit our website, shedoespodcast.com, to feast on those. This show is a product of Slate's Panoply Network, and this episode was produced by us, Sarah Ginsberg, and Elaine Sheldon, and sound design is by Billy Wurazman. Thank you to our illustrator, Christine Cover, and our production accomplice, Elijah Case. The music you heard in today's episode is by Hannah, Delia, and Amanda Rainey, or Dubnub, a group of sisters that you'll meet when you tune in next week for episode 16.5. We love hearing from you. We love finding out what you like about the show and what you would like to hear. So if you haven't yet, go over to iTunes and let us know what you think about this show. It helps others find us and it keeps us afloat. Thank you for listening to She Does.